Action Park Media. Hi, I'm Ethan Suplee. Welcome to American Glut. Outside of acting, my two favorite things to do are diet and eat. I have a very complicated relationship with food, and on this podcast, we're going to talk about all of it. Food as entertainment. Food as sport. Food as fuel. I'll talk to experts and the average person, just like you and me. I hate to ask you to do anything, but if you're enjoying the show, please take a moment to like, subscribe, rate, review, all of the above on whatever app you're getting it from. My guest today is Top Chef star and award-winning chef Gregory Gourdet. I'm excited to hear about his first book called Everyone's Table, Global Recipes for Modern Health, in which he revolutionizes what healthy eating can be and shares his own very personal story along the way. You can find him on Instagram at GG30,000. Gregory Gourdet, welcome to the American Glutton Podcast. Thank you so much. It's good to be here. Um, I first, I mean, listen, I have a lot to talk to you about. I've really enjoyed watching you. I'm a big fan of Top Chef, and I really, awesome. I, I, I wanted you to win uh, both times. You were on twice, right? I was. I competed twice. Yeah. I, I, your food looked delicious, and uh, I was always very impressed by it. But I, I've been reading about you. You've done marathons and ultra marathons. I have. I, I was quite the runner uh, in my, you know, earlier years. <laughs> That's crazy. What is an ultra marathon? Like, I, I can't run. I've never been good at running. When my cardio was at its best, a 5K would knock me on my ass. But I could ride a bike for 120 miles, which is okay. like equal to a marathon. It is. But I never could run an ultra marathon. Like, that's crazy. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, like the short of the short and long story is when I got sober, like 13 years ago, or no, 12 years ago, but I just wanted to change everything about me. And I just like really jumped into health. And um, I actually started running when I was in rehab, because there was nothing else I could do. And this was actually in New York City, like a couple years before I actually got sober. But there's like this tiny park, I went back to my live with my parents and was in rehab and I just started running in this tiny little park by our house in Queens and it was awful I would run like two miles and it was absolutely awful like I could barely walk but you know um when I finally did get sober like two years later it was just like one of those things that I put on my goal list and I ran my first half marathon I think like before getting sober or like right about when I was getting sober and that just gave me the bug you know I, I immediately started training for my first marathon and, you know, obviously Portland, Oregon is a huge running town and Oregon's a huge running state. And I just started kind of meeting people who are runners. And uh, I think I was just like looking up running information one day online and I saw the word ultra runner and ultra marathon and yeah. it sounded really cool. <laughs> and like, yeah. and I realized all I had to do was run, you know, like five more miles longer than a marathon and I could be considered an ultra runner because the first distance is you know like 30 31 miles um so yeah so i just i just took off and you know it it, it was a bug it was definitely a bug for, for a few years that's awesome the fact that a marathon isn't already ultra i think is psychotic but i i'm glad there's another step and that it's not it's not that much more just remember the first person who ever ran a marathon died <laughs> <laughs> right exactly um uh an- another thing that I have found we, we have a, a small library in our house and we keep all of like um, our favorite books. Those books pretty much never get touched. The books in our house that are um, the only books that we're currently collecting and actively use are art books to some degree, but mostly and primarily cookbooks. Cookbooks still are something that I don't want to look at my phone to get. I don't want to, there's no way I would listen to an audible version of a cookbook. Like I think that would be kind of useless. I want to hold the book. I want to use it as a reference guide or something for inspiration. So I'm very excited about your cookbook. Thank you. You know, uh, I actually got some copies in um, some that I'm pre-signing and it was the first time I got to hold it in my hands last week. And it's quite exciting. You know, it was a three-year project. It literally took me three years to write, shoot, edit, 
uh, meetings in New York and, you know, pitching, you know, the, the manuscript and all that good stuff. But uh, it worked out and I'm really proud of it. And it's 200 recipes. It's a almost 400 page book. Uh, there's plenty of photography. There's photography for every recipe. And I think what I love most about it, reading it now is just how simple and straightforward the book actually is. And again, it's a blueprint for just eating better. And, you know, it's very, very allergen friendly. It's gluten-free, dairy-free, soy-free. Um, it uses all natural unprocessed sugars. So um, if anyone in your family or your friends has any type of allergen, like you can start with this book, but at the same time, you know, reading pretty much like I would say 80% of the recipes, it just sounds like food you want to make. Right. Um, it just sounds like delicious, interesting food with lots of cultural influences and lots of global spices. Um, and then there's, you know, there's the handful of recipes specifically to teach you how to make, you know, nut milks and, you know, great smoothies and, you know, like a gluten-free flour blend to bake your cakes with. So um, I really take you through pretty much every type of food item. You know, there's, there's two chapters on vegetables. There's a cold vegetable chapter. There's a hot vegetable chapter. There's eggs, there's pastries, there's desserts, there's fermentation, there's pickles, there's sauces. There's a whole chapter focused on sustainable seafood. There's birds, there's meats. So there's literally every single thing you could possibly cook in the book. And I'm excited for the world to have it. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited to get it too. I'm I'm excited because for the most part, when I think about, um, and we have some uh, cookbooks that are kind of have a health bent. I, they're not super exciting to me. Like, yes. you know, yeah. I, I think about these books as like something that in the rare case that some autoimmune thing flares up or somebody in my family's feeling like inflamed or something like that. Okay. I'll maybe look at this reference guide for something that's going to be bland and pointless yes. that I'll feed to them. But your book sounds like everything is like intentionally delicious. It is. You know, I think for me, you know, like I've been eating this way for again, you know, the whole, past 12 years you know i've been dairy free and gluten free and you know of course i travel i'm a chef i, I taste everything but i've just kind of started cooking that way in my kitchens and you know i would travel the world and i've worked in lots of different cultural restaurants from spanish to french to asian you know i'm tapping into my haitian heritage and my caribbean roots right now my current um, restaurant pop-up so i have all these amazing influences and i still want to eat like really delicious food and, you know, I'm a really busy person and I want to get it on the table fast if I'm cooking at home. So with all that in mind, you know, I think it's a really great resource to help you, you know, make some good decisions at home and not feel like you're eating health food. I think, you know, the subtitle of the book is the book's titled Everyone's Table, Global Recipes for Modern Health. And, you know, for me, defining modern health is really just kind of realizing that, you know, yes, Mother Nature makes all these amazing things that you can eat, but there are actually some that are better than others. And if you focus on just eating the good things, the things which which are the most nutrient dense, the most vitamins and minerals, you know, the best proteins and fats, you can eat as much of that as you want. And that's really kind of like the thought behind the book if, is if you focus on these ingredients that are naturally delicious and sometimes some are available year round, some are super seasonal, um, but you can really eat as much of the stuff as you want because it's just good for you. Yeah. I've been talking to, um, we, uh, you know, I, I underwent kind of massive weight loss. And so a lot of the conversations we're having are really kind of focused a little bit more on that, even, even more so than health and, and looking at health as kind of a byproduct. But a lot of, um, a lot of the people I talk to will just say like, as a beginning step, even before like getting into some kind of a rigid diet, just get rid of the process stuff. Like if that's a step one, Yep. you're going to be on a more successful path. Absolutely. You know, I, I think of, of everything I've been through in terms of, you know, what I eat and what I don't eat and what has stuck and what has not stuck. I think getting over the processed food is something that's definitely stuck, um, you know, and, and that's just, you know, making a smart decision for your health. And I mean, to think about it, you know, when you think about all the flavors in the world and all the spices and all the different dishes that, you know, talk about specific heritage and all the amazing foods that you know that we grow that are in season you know there's there's no reason not to you know just make something great and something healthy and you know i hope my book provides you know a blueprint for people to kind of make these smart decisions and you know i have the family in mind i have the busy home cook in mind you know the recipes can take one you know the longest recipe takes three hours and that's a great sunday project for like a slow cooked beef dish or 
Um, and also just want to teach you like lots of little kitchen tricks, you know, as a well-versed chef, I have a lot of trips and tricks up my sleeve that, you know, I think home cooks can really appreciate. It'll help your game definitely quite a bit. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Yeah, I, uh, I've been on all, all manner of, uh, restrictive <laughs> diets. And, and one of the things that I, um, that I would do is I'd become obsessed with food and, and watching food be made and then trying to make it just to feed to my wife and kids. And my wife would say stuff like every time you get real strict on a diet, we gain weight and you're making us all this stuff. But I've also dragged them around the world yeah. um, <laughs> to go and go like, we're going to eat duck that's in a restaurant in an alley in Beijing. And <laughs> I'm going to eat the duck, but I'm going to watch you make the actual little duck taco on the I don't know what the hell it's called but with the scallions and the plum yeah. sauce and all of that and I'm not gonna eat that but you're gonna explain it to me yeah. and, and the point is like everywhere on earth that I've been you know I've been to all the continents except uh Antarctica um you can find stuff like they've got an interesting thing that I could eat on pretty much any diet absolutely you know I think a lot of the American diet is just kind of based on a lot of things that might not necessarily be like healthy and like we eat a lot of dairy in this country we eat a lot of meat in this country um we eat a lot of you know empty carbs in this country but you know if you want to dive deeper into like you know some you know some even great american recipes like our history with vegetables and greens in the south and um you know just like you know my haitian heritage you know we don't have a lot of dairy in haiti at all and you know we have a lot of seafood and we have a lot of root vegetables you know so that delicious food that nutrient nutrient dense food is there you know um because at the base food is meant to sustain us you know like food is meant to have nutritious elements to it you know that's why mother nature creates it you know so it's just up to us to find it and you know love it prepare it carefully season it well and, and have a good time yeah i think we we lose sight of that in america uh, there's an obsession for like efficiency and when and when you you dive really deep into things becoming the most efficient they can possibly be. They become fragile, these systems. And so like you can get a week's worth of food at the gas station for a couple bucks or very little money. But like, what's the end result of eating that way continuously is the, the decline of health overall. Yeah, you know? I, think, I think it's, it's really the combination of, you know, people being pressed for time and, and people kind of being scared about, you know, actually cooking and it's actually maybe a little bit easier than we think and you know i think generally there has been a pretty strong movement towards a more natural way of eating you know from the popularity of farmers markets to you know you know i mean within the culinary community chefs specifically have a really close relationship with farmers and people growing the food and fishers um and i think that's definitely trickled you know as as the culinary arts become more popular and people are more concerned about what they're putting in their diets or consuming and people are seeking out those relationships with their farmers and, you know, their fisher people and, you know, um, supporting the local butchers, supporting the local fish store. You know, we have a great fish store called Flying Fish and he's been extremely busy throughout the pandemic and it's all sustainable seafood. And that makes me really happy to see. Um, so I, I think we're at a point where, you know, I think more people are kind of concerned about what they're putting in their body. Um, and, and, and it's a good thing for all of us. Yeah. And, and it's, and we're lucky to have guys like you too, because, I think a, a lot of it is like, you know, how hard is it to boil a chicken breast? Probably not that hard, but like if, if we don't have people like you showing us just a little twist yeah. on a seasoning, yeah. 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 That, that boiled chicken breast sucks or talking about like doing it at a simmer instead of a rapid boil. Like these are big, huge game changing yeah. things. Yeah. The recipe in the book is it's a whole chicken. It's whole chicken zoodle soup. <laughs> so you yeah, just get a whole chicken, throw it in a pot with some water, some ginger, some, some jalapeno, simmer it for like an hour and a half, shred it, um, add some zucchini and you have a beautiful big pot of soup that costs you what, like seven bucks, eight bucks right. that for a couple of days. Yeah. So that's literally a couple of days versus like a $7 can of soup, you yeah. know, or, or that's high end. I suppose you could probably get it for less, but like $7 worth of canned soup, I doubt is going to last a couple of days, you know, um, was health something that, uh, that came 
with at the same time as sobriety? Was it after that? Which happened first? For me, you know, I don't know. My parents were like always fairly healthy. We never really had a lot of processed foods like at home. Like obviously, you know, I'm a little bit older. I I remember the eighties and, you know, like all that, you know, dry potatoes and hamburger help and all that good stuff. <laughs> it was it was an era. But for me, you know, I started my culinary career at Jean Georges and and you know, he's an iconic, you know, global chef and his whole thing is, you know, in the eighties he started making, you know, sauces from vegetable juices and herb oils and you know he was already kind of redefining french cuisine in a lot of ways and lightening it up um he was a very groundbreaking chef from the 80s for the very earlier part of his career so when i worked at jean georges in new york city you know for the first i worked for him for about seven years almost and we were always just kind of finding ways to lighten french food and that was his thing so that was always in the back of my head um and that coupled with you know like I didn't grow up cooking. I learned how to cook. So I didn't grow up making Haitian food at all, but I always had Haitian food in our household because my household was extremely Haitian. Um, so there was always, you know, like lots of fruits and lots of vegetables and lots of seafood. So all of that was always within me, you know, and, um, you know, when I decided to get sober and, and kind of change my act around, you know, I went like paleo and, and that's really kind of like the basis of the book, really the paleo diet. Um, but I lost so much weight, you know, I've, I've gained it, you know, I've, I've gained it and lost it like multiple times over the past like 12 years. Uh, but it just became something that clicked, you know, and, and I've just always kind of, I think deep down inside, I've just been informed to like, from my parents or from my earlier cooking career to try to make healthier food and, you know, trying to be healthy and clinging on to my sobriety and and seeing this way of eating was really at the, you know, the start of me getting sober and changing my life. Um, it's just something that stuck with me for sure. Yeah. I, I, I found it took me a while to really understand it, but like the, the kind of roller coaster ride that I went on with drugs and alcohol, you know, I couldn't even then when I, it, it required some separation from food and from the kinds of foods that I was eating. Cause this perpetual feeling of almost being hung over, I couldn't get enough distance from it because I would just keep putting that stuff back into my system. But once there was some altitude from that, I could really go like, Oh, when I eat that stuff, I don't feel good. Um, you know, I think with drugs and alcohol, that chasing that good feeling becomes almost a constant, right? And so any altitude is so uncomfortable that you're just like, I want to scratch my way back to not feeling uncomfortable. And with food, there was a similar thing that happened for me where I went on a diet and then ate some stuff and literally like my vision clouded up. And I was like, oh my what is this? I mean, I'm sitting here eating this thing and it's happening almost immediately. Um, you know, maybe a doctor could say it was something else, but I, I doubt it, you know, and now when I have something which is very rare, that's kind of a deviation from my plan, the reaction is so swift that I'm like, it just becomes not worth eating, you know, quote unquote, bad. Yeah, I mean, I go through the same thing, you know, as a busy chef, you know, like, I work all day and sometimes I don't want to cook at home. So, you know, like I make some quick decisions, you know, especially in the pandemic where, you know, it's like half supporting local restaurants via takeout, but also convenience. Cause you know, I've, I've been working at, you know, at this pop-up, I've been extremely busy for so long that, you know, like convenience even for me becomes this thing, but it's like, once you take a few things out of your system, out of your system rotation, you know, like I know how good it feels to like, you know, like have a really, you know, protein packed fruit packed smoothie and how good that feels and you know eating like a huge plate of vegetables like i know physically how good that makes me feel you know and like eating a, a four cookies because i'm in a rush you know <laughs> to get back to the kitchen you know and how i feel at the end of the day um and how i feel when i wake up after those experiences you know it's not a good feeling and, and and yes you know i definitely can relate to tying this to sobriety and you know the fear of you know doing something that makes you uncomfortable comfortable it's like a, a momentary you know sense of pleasure um but it's also a shortcut and you kind of feel like crap after um and that is so much like you know addictive behavior in so many ways and you know trying to stay out of that as much as possible as someone in recovery is like really important to me yeah i think i think this is analogous to to anyone who's um y- you know i think 
in literal terms that food is not addictive, but I think psychologically behaviors can, can be addictive. And so I think it, it, it works well as an analogy, you know, and for me, it becomes very difficult um, to even separate it further because like I, I'm an absolutist with drugs and alcohol. I just don't do them. And, and that's the easiest way for me to live my life. And I've had many thoughts that I wish that I could just quit eating because it has been such a struggle. You know what I mean? Like I so much pleasure tied into it that there's, yeah. I really enjoy. I really love the energy I get from food. I like using it as fuel, but then there's like a sick part of me that also likes to drive through at 3am and buying, you know, a, a meal for six and like going super just hog wild on that. Um, and so I just go, if, if I just became an absolutist with this thing, how easy would life be? I just, yeah. it would cut out a lot of pleasure, certainly, but like, so did quitting drugs and alcohol. Yeah. But you can't, you cannot do that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's hard. You know, that, that's why for me, it's been easier to cut out some things, you know, and just be able to focus on some other things. But, you know, there's, there's, you know, cheap things in every category of food, you know, like I can, I can stuff my face with like gluten-free, dairy-free cake, you know, and like yeah. the next day. Right. And you don't feel like crap. Yeah. And, and I have found like, you know, outside of one or two vegetables that make me gassy, these are things that I generally don't ever feel bad eating. And and when I feel, when I say bad, I mean both like psychologically bad and also physically bad, you know, even if I eat to the point where I feel like I'm going to rupture, I just know I'm in for a good bowel movement at some point, but that's pretty much the biggest consequence don't go anywhere we'll be right back um do you have anything um for somebody who hasn't who hasn't cooked and is kind of the you know burdened by a lot of the things we're talking about who hasn't ventured over into this path yet which is a good starting point either for educational purposes or just putting something into action in terms of what like a mental game plan or first steps like somebody who who yeah. maybe is like look you know time is it time is an issue we all have time uh thoughts on time and not enough time who who has enough time but um also just like daunted by the idea of a kitchen you know like sure I don't know how to use this thing, this place. This, my mother did this. I don't know what to do. You know, I think one thing I tackle in the book is kind of keeping it simple, 100%. You know, and within the 200 recipes, a lot are very, very straightforward. A lot of the recipes are half a page. And, um, you know, some of the photography might look a little complicated, but in actuality, it isn't. And, you know, the pantry is 25 pages at the beginning of the book. Um, and I go over every single ingredient. I go over what's accessible year round. I go over what's seasonal, what you have to probably go to an Asian or Caribbean market to find. Um, if not, there's, you can always order anything online with a couple clicks, you know? Um, but I, I, I think, you know, just starting off simple, you know, kind of, I always believe in writing a list and kind of making a plan of what you want to change and what you want to do. And if it's kind of eating a little bit healthier, just like little by little, you know, pick a day of the week that you make something healthy for your family. You know, um, you know, is it going to be a vegetable forward day? Is it going to be you know, focused on sustainable seafood? Is it going to be a lean protein day? Um, you know, like pick a recipe, you know, shop um, and, 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 and just, you know, flip through the book, find the shortest recipe, you know? Um, and I think, I think starting there is, is a good way to go. And I think, you know, also just connecting with our communities, our food provider communities is extremely important. So, you know, I know if you have a farmer's market in your community, or if you have a, a local butcher, if you have a local fishmonger, support those people, develop relationships with those people, ask questions about where things are grown, you know, you know, how they did throughout the pandemic, how you can be supportive, and if they even have any tips and tricks for cooking the proteins or the vegetables or whatever. Um, but, you know, I think one of the biggest things that my industry has suffered throughout the pandemic is really the kind of the, the full circle of the whole thing. And when we talk about restaurants being closed for so long, you know, it's really a chain reaction because restaurants are closed. And now the, the people who make the food for the restaurants are not suffering as well. And those are a lot of small independent, you know, farmers, ranchers, fishers, and makers 
Um, so you can support them and make healthier dishes for your family and make some smart choices for yourself all, to, all at the same time. That's amazing. Can, can I ask you just about sustainable seafood? Because you've mentioned it and I don't know what like, uh, you know, my abstractly, I, I think about like a Texas sized uh, area of plastic detritus in the Pacific Ocean that's like obviously not good for fish but if I just walk into a supermarket are there things that I should stay away from and things that I should gravitate towards like are there are there specific types of fish we risk running out of soon sure so you know I think sustainable seafood is, is one thing that we definitely have to inform ourselves with and you know it can be somewhat tricky because there are so many types of fish and sometimes the most marketed fish, the most popular fish are sometimes the most overfished fish. So things like hamachi, you know, we always see hamachi on, on menus all, all over the place, you know, extremely unsustainable fish, fish like um, unagi, you know, um, very popular in Japanese restaurants, sushi restaurants, you know, other types of restaurants as well. Um, you know, but I think there, there are a couple of resources. You know, I'm an ambassador for the Marine Stewardship Council. Um, and, you know, they have a simple bluefish um, logo. Um, and if you see that bluefish logo on any seafood products, you know that that fish was wild um, and sustainably caught. And that means it's caught in a way that doesn't harm the environment. It's caught in a way that there's enough of its population um, and it's raised um, and it's caught in a way and, and from a place where, you know, the resources are not tapped into um, with, you know, the fishing of that fish. So, you know, but, you know, it's definitely something, again, that you have to have a relationship with your fishmonger. Um, and just simply asking, you know, I think this is something that's very important and important to grocers and natural grocers like Whole Foods, you know, um, they have clear standards. Um, and I'm sure a lot of local, you know, kind of grocers have the same standards and it's really just having the conversation where was this is it sustainable that's really the, the easiest question there's always three ratings there's red there's yellow and there's green um and you always want to be in the green and yellow realm um the yellow realm is kind of moving towards super sustainable it's acceptable um and the green kind of check mark is uh the green light to go that's 100 sustainable um just avoid anything red yeah my wife gave me a hard time not long ago because I had apparently bought something that was farmed that she was very mad at me about. And I just didn't understand it at all. And then she showed me like, there, there are definitely why. sustainable farm farmed aquaculture, sustainable options. You know, okay. I, there's frozen options that are great. There's farmed options that are great. There are wild options that are great. I truly believe that eating wild fish is the most nutritious um, because it's growing in its most natural habitat. Um, but as far as sustainably go and kind of making choices that are important for the environment, you know, you have all three, you can do frozen fish. It's delicious. So much fish is frozen right at sea. It stays very fresh. A lot of fish is high fat. It doesn't mess up the texture whatsoever. Um, wild is probably the best choice nutritious. And there are tons and tons of sustainable, you know, fisheries that are, you know, aquaculturing um, and ocean raising fish properly. Awesome. Awesome. Well, that, that, that information is great. I, I literally didn't know. I just got yelled at because our salmon had food dye in it, which is certainly not something I wanted to eat. I didn't even realize that was a thing until my wife yeah. pointed it out to me. Um, uh, awesome. Well, I cannot wait to check out your book. And uh, so yeah. see it. thank you so much for joining me. Of course. All right. Talk to you later. Cheers. Thank you. Bye. And now for the Q&A. This question comes from Kate. Can we just, before we dive right into it, Paige, can we just acknowledge that I finally sound better than you? Yes, I would like to acknowledge that you finally sound better than I do with your professional microphone while I am remote on a wired headset. Why do you have to make it about the hardware? Fine. When when we both have equal hardware, you sound better. And I'm just happy to finally sound better. Fine, you have crap hardware. You know, mm-hmm. let's just be happy about this. You know, I'm happy for you. Do I have to say the Q&A thing again? <laughs> no. No. 
everyone knows we're about to talk about a question and have what, you answer it. What's the question? All right. Here's a question for you from Caitlin. Hi, Caitlin. First, I want to share actually something incredible that she said. She said, I found your podcast last year and it helped me more than you will ever know. Since last June, I've lost 125 pounds and listening to, I know, and listening to your experiences and your podcast have supported me through my journey. Thank you so much for this podcast and for sharing your experiences. It truly changed my life. I had breakthroughs listening to you that I fear I would not have had were it not from hearing your story. Damn, Caitlin, that is fucking like, I mean, got me a little choked up. That's so nice. Thank you pretty amazing. So here's her question. She says, how do you define success in a diet or healthy lifestyle change? What other metrics besides weight should be looked at when assessing whether the process you are doing is successful or not? Okay. These are, these are amazing things to think about. So we find ourselves in some state that we don't want to remain in, right? We wake up one day, whatever it is, and maybe it's something that grows over time and you go like, you know, I'm not getting the kind of sleep I want. And you start to examine your life and what is it? And maybe you decide that weight is a factor or your pants are too tight or you're getting out of breath when you're walking upstairs or you're sick of checking the strength of a chair every time you sit down, whatever these Whatever this state is that you have discovered that you uh, want to change, we then go about setting um, the goal of change. So change whatever the the metric is you're using. I want I want uh, I want smaller pants. I want to wear a smaller size T-shirt. I want to feel better about myself. I want to improve my health. I want to not wheeze as I walk up the stairs. Um, I want to weigh less, you know, that's a perfectly fine metric. So then that's the goal. Then we build a structure to achieve that goal. Um, and that's the diet, right? Uh, I, for me, many times I got lost and stuck in the weeds of, knowing I need to change or feeling that I need to change or wanting to change and having the only real metric I used to gauge that as weight and then just factoring that, that a diet and, and, and I, I would come across these diets and just like be sold immediately. Like, you know, I saw a nutritionist, he told me, that I have this blood type and therefore I need to eat only these foods. And if I ate only those foods, I would lose weight. Right. And I would optimize health by eating only those foods. And the first uh, metric that the nutritionist was using for optimization of health was weight. And so that was kind of, and so I go head fucking into this diet going like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm sold. This is the thing. And, you know, I change my diet around and I eat and I start to lose weight and then I hit a a plateau and I'm not losing weight anymore. And then I even gain a little bit of weight and I'm like, well, I haven't, I'm still eating all these foods, but I'm, I'm not losing weight. Like I want to be losing my, my point in all of this is like, uh, same thing happened for me with keto, um, uh, what are some other ones? Then there were some diets, which I, I, I went like the only metric I want is weight loss. And the diets were excruciatingly, excruciatingly um, difficult, meaning super, super low calorie. And so I arrive at my quote unquote goal of, of weight loss. And then the minute I'm not doing that diet anymore, I'm rapidly regaining weight. So all of this kind of things, all of these kind of things are, are, are what I'm thinking about in, in like, what is structure? What is my real goal? Is my goal only that I want to wear a new pair of pants? And then if that's my goal, do I only want to wear that new pair of pants for a very short period of time? 
I have to start, I had to start thinking about my relationship with foods, but really even going back to, okay, I know how to lose weight. I've lost weight 20 times in the last 20 years and, and, and lots of weight. And it's been not that hard. I mean, you know, you go like, okay, it's going to be three really hard months and I'll lose the weight. But my thought didn't go much past that. Right. And so I figured once I lost the weight that I would be solved or fixed or, you know, the, I, I wasn't addressing so much how I got to this state. What, what were my, what was my behavior? Um, what was I doing to accumulate or to create or to, or to, uh, or to find myself in this non-optimal state, right? Um, again, look, I think somebody could certainly do a liquid diet and lose a hundred pounds and then never put that weight back on. I'm sure that's happened. I'm sure there's documented cases of that, but I think that didn't happen for me. Number one. So anecdotally, I have no kind of understanding of that. And, and then if we look at the stats, the stats say, if you do that for the most part, other than outliers, you're going to gain the weight back. Um, and what I have found is in all those diets, I wasn't addressing what it was that I was doing to get myself to that place, right? What were my habits? What was, what was my daily routine that allowed me to accumulate so much weight? A lot of it was that I was sedentary, that I wasn't moving around a lot, right? And now I am loath to author, offer or suggest exercise as a form of weight loss. I actually don't think that that's uh, an optimal thing to do. I, I don't think it's a great idea. But I would say that I feel better when I exercise. And having added exercise into my life, I know for sure I'm burning a little bit more calories than I would be otherwise. And it's super good for health. So that's where I kind of lay exercise into my program. Also, it's, um, <clears throat> it's in direct opposition to being sedentary, which was part of the, the way I arrived at my non-optimal state. So then I have to look at some other eating habits. You know, a lot of my eating was done while watching TV. Um, uh, and, and I found that I was somehow, I don't know if it's that I was hungrier, somehow much more capable of eating a lot more if I was sitting and watching TV. Like if I prepare dinner and me and my wife sit down to dinner together, I eat a certain amount and then I'm done eating and I don't need to eat more. You know, I mean, listen, if I make a giant tray of lasagna, I, I can do some damage to that tray but I don't do that very often. Um, when I'm talking about the, the kind of quote unquote healthy foods that I, I eat most typically now, I'm not, I, I, there's no incentive really for me to binge eat chicken breast or broccoli, you know, broccoli fondue maybe, but just steamed broccoli, you know, I, I eat the amount that I need to eat. And then it's kind of like, okay, I'm full. I'm done eating. I, you know, my body isn't screaming. No, you need another pound of broccoli, right? That doesn't happen. So, so I stopped eating while watching TV because somehow I eat the same foods while watching TV. And it's like, Ooh, I'm done. I still want to be doing this action while I'm watching TV, somehow I could possibly eat a lot more broccoli or suddenly potato chips are, are calling out to me. Whereas if I'm sitting at my dinner table and I finish my food, potato chips are, are not a thing that I'm thinking about. This is just me. Obviously I, I, I would suggest that, you know, uh, no other person should, should uh, look at the structure of their life and go like, well, this is what worked for Ethan. I'm trying to, I would just say like, these are examples, right? Um, some exercise every day, uh, not doing things hungry, like starting to make dinner because 
I don't know why, but I have a heavier pour of the olive oil when I'm hungry. I have, uh, I have less ability to, um, you know, add a little extra rice or pasta somehow if I'm starving and making food suddenly I'm eating a piece of cheese and I'm like I don't even really eat much dairy why did I just eat that piece of cheese anyway so I I really had to look at the structure and at what my goals were for real because I I had the the goal of weight loss so many times that just having weight loss as a goal I, I had to go like, well, I can have, you know, I, I've also realized this is somewhat an aside that through my life with things like goals, I'll set a goal and then I'll find myself having achieved that goal in very literal terms and going, but this isn't what I meant. This doesn't totally encompass all the things I thought I came with it. But when I look at it, I go like, but my goal was exactly this. You know, um, for instance, uh, you know, I had the goal to marry my wife and have a big family with her. And and when I was a teenager, I would look at her and I was so like, just like, I want to, I want to, you know, I loved every aspect of her and her family cut to 10 years into marriage. And I'm at her parents' house or her, one of her parents' house for Thanksgiving dinner. And I'm kind of like, geez. This is, you know, I'm not loving this. And I have to step back and go, no, this is exactly what you wanted, moron. This is literally exactly what you said you wanted. And now you have it. And now you're saying, you know, it isn't. No, you have to confront the fact that it is. So with weight loss, I go like, I want to lose 50 pounds. Hard stop, period. That's it, right? And every time I do that, I go, why didn't it work? And I go, well, it did. I lost 50 pounds. Hard stop. I didn't have the goal of keeping it off. That wasn't even in my mind a lot of the times. It was just this thing. So I had to get really specific. What exactly do I want? Do I want to lose weight? Yeah. Well, that's super ambiguous. We have a bunch of different things happening in our body that we can... Uh, alter and reduce that show a differential on a scale water fat lean tissue those are the three components of weight loss I don't really give a shit if I lose water you know that's not to say I, I at one point in my younger days had congestive heart failure which was actually um uh you know you're holding on to a shitload of excess water right and you could so in that case, like, if that's what you're going through. Yeah, maybe you just need to get rid of that water, possibly, right? It's not, I, I don't know. I'm not a doctor again, but like, maybe that is. Maybe you're, you're a gal and, and, and you're bloated and you wake up one day and you're like, I'm done being bloated. And maybe it is a lot of water and excess fluid, right? Maybe you cut your sodium a little bit and you're done and that's it, right? I wanted to, when I got more specific, just lose fat. That's it. I don't want to lose lean tissue. I don't need to dehydrate myself. So there was a, a little added specificity onto my goal. I want to lose fat and not gain it back. There's another added specificity. Okay, now I need to construct something that actually allows me to do that because any of these diets are going to be about reduction. What happens when it's time to not reduce anymore, but you also don't want to gain weight? Are we thinking about that? That is more important to me than losing weight because I actually, you know, there's some part of me now that's like, I actually enjoy losing weight. I like withholding uh, calories a little bit. And uh, in order to uh, do that without sacrificing lean tissue, that means you got to gain a little bit of weight. And like, and I'm talking about like strictly on my own terms. This is also kind of the principle of building muscle is you gain a little bit of weight and then you cut the fat and then you gain a little, right? And so 
that's all thought through though. Uh, prior to the last four or five years, it was completely out of my hands. It was like white knuckling weight loss, losing weight, trying to hold on to, uh, whatever weight I was at without, um, really understanding the principles of maintaining my weight. It was just like, well, fuck, I'm just eating meat and vegetables. Right. And I'm exercising like crazy. And sometimes I'm gaining weight and sometimes I'm not, and I don't really understand what's happening and I'm not counting anything, you know, but I'd have to look at if I go to Peter Luger's and have the giant steak covered in, you know, molten lard, which is literally what they cover it in, right? Even if I'm not eating their sauce, the Peter Luger steak sauce, which is full of sugar, um, I'm just eating fat and protein. And and like, I was doing a movie in New York and I was eating at Peter Luger's four times a week because I would just get a giant fucking steak covered in lard and I was gaining weight and I like didn't understand this. This is crazy. What's happening? So I start exercising harder. And it's like, this is me trying to make adjustments when I'm not really understanding what's happening. So what do I think is the best thing to track? What is your goal? I don't know what your goal is. If your goal is to wear smaller pants, track your waist size. Who gives a shit what you weigh? If the weight itself has nothing to do. Now, I think if you've got a hundred or more pounds to lose and, or, you know, 50 or more pounds to lose, and you've got like long-term weight loss, you're going to be dealing with. Right. And then maintenance and stuff like that. Getting on the scale is a pretty good way to track progress. Um, but if the number isn't your goal, if it's, if it's a size thing, like you want to wear smaller pants, track your waist size. Um, if you want, if you want to ensure that you're retaining as much muscle as possible and, um, and, and losing fat, like you got to look at how the diet works and how the muscles use protein and, um, how a, a heavy caloric deficit or a deep caloric deficit is going to mess with lean tissue over a long period of time. Right. I'm not talking about like a weekend, um, but if you've got 50 pounds to lose and you're going like, I'm going to, this is going to take a while. I just, or I could lose this 50 pounds in a couple months. If I just don't eat anything, you're going to be deep into the, the, the lean tissue. Your body's just going to sacrifice that, right? If you don't want that, then you have to design your diet around that. And then I would say like, so if you're trying to figure out what the good way to track it is, it's like it's got to be specific to what you want long-term. Um, and then on top of that, like is maintaining it a part of your goal? You know, I, I have a wife and four daughters, as you know, very well, Paige, mm -hmm. who are also a, a gal. I think you're a chick um, who, who I've had conversations with, with you guys where there are times where you're just like, no, nah, I don't give a shit about anything. I have an event. I want to fit into this dress that doesn't fit right now. And it's a week and a half away. And I'm like, okay, well, fuck man. You know, that's, that's like, you know, dehydrate yourself. You'll probably fit into it or just go like super low calorie. It's going to bounce come right back and and sometimes people don't care about that and i understand that I, I have no there's no like whatever your goal is that's your goal i i don't i, I have nothing invested in it you know it doesn't matter to me yeah. i'm perfectly happy for anybody to have any goal they want i think some goals i think right again this is totally subjective i'm not saying that this is objectively true i think some goals are both mentally and physically healthier than others, right? I think if the goal is just vanity, then I have vanity goals too, but even my own vanity goals, I'm going like, I think I have some mental illness that I should probably work on uh, 
that's maybe even more important than that vanity goal. I'm not going to discard that vanity goal because it's a real goal. I can't deny it. Um, but I think I have some mental illness that that is kind of feeding that into me. And like, if I'm really being honest, it's not the most important goal, you know, for me, I'm not saying it doesn't have to be for you. Um, so there's all these things, uh, the, the, as far as like, what's the best way to track and what's the best, uh, structure to do. I, I really think it becomes very specific. And I think that a lot plays into, um, who you are, what you'll adhere to, things you're willing to give up in your life, new structures you're you're willing to implement for yourself, um, and then there are there are many ways you could track. Take a take a Polaroid picture of yourself every day, you know, and then you could literally make like one of those flip book cartoons out of it to see to track the differentials because it is very hard to, um, you know. I think most people have mirrors in their homes unless we're sitting shivin. We've covered it with a cloth, but most people have a mirror and they're seeing themselves every day. So it's quite often hard to see a change, right? Because it's happening slowly, no matter what, you know, even I don't care if you're doing a liquid diet, still happening so slowly that it can be hard to see. And then suddenly you put on a pair of pants and they're gigantic and you're like, holy crap, I, I've done something. I didn't even realize I've done something, right? Um, if you're measuring yourself every day, you can write down those measurements and you can look at a change across time. And the scale is a good system to track a change across time. Um, for me, you know, I go back to um, whatever mental garbage I'm dealing with from being forced to get on a scale as a little kid and being told it was, I was failing at life, you know, at five years old because of the numbers on the scale. And so the scale has haunted me. The scale haunts me today. I get on the scale a couple of times a week. And even when I don't want to see it go down, like when I'm actively in life working for it to not go down, intending by my actions for it to stay the same quote you know these maintenance when it doesn't go down i'm disappointed and i have to kind of shake it off and go like no that's the outcome you've been intending um even though i feel you know this is kind of like i feel like i'm a very uh analytically rational person that said i do recognize that emotions occur regardless of how rational we are. And, you know, sometimes you got to talk yourself through them a little bit, you know, and that's helpful. Like I'm having this feeling uh, that I've disappointed myself because I've got, I've had no reduction on the scale. Okay. Moron. You've been working every day to have no reduction on the scale. Your actions have not been that. And, and you know, even though I'm like eating my maintenance meals, I'm secretly hoping I'll lose weight. And it's like, no dipshit. <laughs> why are you, why are you having these uh, counter hopes to what you're actually, you've actually set out to achieve, but they, they, they're there. I can't, you know, I can't just decide them off, but, but the more and more I talk myself through them, the less powerful they are, the less they, you know, they can't ruin my day today because I go, Oh, I didn't lose weight. And I have this little feeling of sadness and guilt. I didn't lose weight, right? That occurs, that feeling. And then I go, shut the fuck up. You're not trying to lose weight. And I go, oh yeah, that's right. And then that's kind of it. A couple of years ago, that feeling when I would weigh in would make me sad, would, 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 would kind of, uh, you know, Linus had like, a, I think it was Linus, right? Who had like a cloud over his head. He was yes. 31. Was he yes. 31? I think that was him. Anyway, one of these um, the peanuts. peanuts, I was going to call them cabbage patch guys, but the, <laughs> one, one of these peanuts kids who had the cloud over his head, but his was like filth. My cloud would be, you know, bad thoughts about myself and a darkness, mm -hmm. you know, like it's sunny outside, but you feel like you're standing in the shade, kind of sad and gloomy, 
that's just how it was. And it took a long time to be able to defeat that more easily. Now I can defeat that more easily. It still occurs. It's, you know, another thing I think about, we've talked about momentum. Uh, every time you defeat um, the voice telling you not to do what you believe you should do. Right. So if it's, you believe you should do it, a diet or you whatever you've decided to do this thing and you have a voice telling you to do something else this is for me again mm -hmm. i'm not telling everybody this is what happens to you for me um i build up a momentum every time i beat that voice right and every day that i get out of bed um to go and do my day i'm i'm i it becomes easier to do it the day i fail it's not just one step back. It's not a little bit of momentum in the other direction. It's a massive windfall of momentum in the opposite direction. Because the next day after I've failed is 10 times harder than the day before. And so I have found for me again, that I can build up momentum towards a goal that makes me feel like there's almost no effort towards it at all. And every day I have to convince myself to get out of bed, but it becomes so much easier, right? The first time I lose that conversation, it's like I've taken 30 steps backwards and then it's a harder fight, but you do it, you can win and you can build up the, that momentum again. If I string together three or four days of losing that fight, it almost feels like I'm you know, in rehab again or something. That's how, how diminished my willpower to win that struggle becomes. And it takes a lot more effort. So these are just all the kind of structural things. So that's what I use. I tell myself, if I don't do it today, if I don't do what I'm supposed to do today, tomorrow's going to be so much harder. And if I don't do it and I lose and I, and I, and I lay in bed and watch TV and order a pizza, it's happened. I can't put two of those days together. I cannot because I, I know it, it just, the feeling of ability to succeed becomes less and less with every moment that I'm not succeeding. Um, I don't know if I've answered her question. I think you have. And because, you know, you've said, and I, this is what I got from what you said, that yes, one of the metrics of success can be the scale, but you pointed out that how do you define what are the other metrics? It depends on your goal. So I loved your example of you want to have smaller, you want to fit into smaller pants. That can be your metric, whether you do or don't, you know, if they're getting tighter or looser, you want to be able to defeat some of these, you know, voices that tell you to stop your plan or all these things. You know what I mean? Like all of those things, it depends on your goal. That's what I got from what you yeah. said. Yeah. Okay, good. Then I feel good about that. I, I think, um, I think it's such a great question. Uh, and I, I, I again, I hope I've given enough examples that they resonate with people because I really do think that um, there's a, there's a lot of, a lot of ways to, to track this. There's a lot of ways to say like, this thing's working, this thing that I'm doing, and it doesn't have to be just the scale. It doesn't have to be just a hip measurement with a, you know, a tape measure or whatever. Um, but it can be that I'm trying to think of some other thing. We talked about like taking pictures of yourselves. We have, um, we have uh, phones now, right? With cameras. This is not very novel, but we have that. You can take a picture of yourself with a phone. I'm sure there's an app where you put all the pictures in and it creates almost a cartoon of, you know, a stop motion thing where you can literally watch you know, because I was saying Polaroid. Who who has Polaroids anymore? What am you're I dating? It's you're dating yourself. No, it's okay. I'm very old, and everybody's much younger than me, and it's driving me crazy. I have a gray right. beard, and it's and I'm old, <laughs> and any day I'm going to be a grandparent, and it's freaking me out. <clears throat> I need to get a cane. Uh, <laughs> these are all the things I think about, Paige, and and I think it's such an important question because I I, I really find that no matter what 
diet you find that works for you. It's like there's an all or nothing kind of aspect where you read a book and it's like, this is how you do it. You get on the scale Mondays and Wednesdays. You drink this much water. You do X, Y, and Z. And everybody does it exactly the same way. And that's how you have to do it. That's the magic formula. And I say fooey to you. Fooey to your magic formulas. Fooey to your dogma. This is bullshit, right? It's whatever you want it to be. And I know that might not be helpful because Sometimes we find ourselves needing to follow somebody's instructions. I understand that. I, I, it, and if you're in that place, yes, if you need some very strict structure, do it fine. But understand that if the scale is getting you down, start measuring your hips, start taking pictures of yourself. If the diet says you have to eat kale and kale makes you fucking nauseous switch to collard greens or spinach or something you know what i mean or 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 look for what the nutrient profile and and fiber content is of another leafy green and and figure it out if if leafy greens make you nauseous don't fucking eat them take a vitamin take some fiber you know what i mean like this is what i'm saying about like this idea that if you don't follow something to the letter we are human beings and i don't think any one of us is exactly a mirror to another person. You know, how much do you sleep? How active are you in the day? Um, are you in a place where the nutrient content of the soil is still rich and you're getting all your micronutrients from the vegetables? Or are you eating shit out of a can that's been depleted? Like I, all this shit matters. So we take this book and go like it all has to be exactly this way and i say fooey to you fooey to you we're not we're not all no person is is exactly the same as another person stuff falls into it everybody with type o blood should eat only these foods i don't find that to be true if you're eating some shit and having a bad reaction to it don't eat it you know, no, not everybody has to be on a no sodium diet, you know, and some people eat too much sodium. Like These are all the, all these things are true, right? Sugar can be poisonous if, if it's taken in abundance or over long periods of time, just like salt. Uh, if you're in the gym or you're doing your ultra marathon runner, sugar could be super helpful. And it's not going to make you store fat or give you cancer. You know what I mean? Like there are, there's what's the right structure for you. There are many, many different alternatives to any one of these things. You know, some diet says you can only have cooking coconut oil. Okay. Well, what if that, I don't like all my fucking shit tasting like coconut. Can I cook in ghee? Yeah, yeah, you can cook in ghee. You can cook on low heat with olive oil, like all this shit. You can figure it out. There's, It doesn't have to be one thing. It can be, you can, you can create a structure. This is where I'm coming to. You, for me, it was important to figure out a structure that I, that I knew was not restricting things that I felt that I needed or wanted for the rest of my life that was kind of it you know i don't want to eat shit that tastes like coconut for the rest of my life once in a while it's fine by the way if you have those like thai coconut shrimp i know they're deep fried but they taste like coconut and they're delicious or like um uh, coconut rice is delicious that's fine i want it to taste like coconut don't want my hamburger to taste like coconut don't want <laughs> chicken to taste like coconut all the time you know um if any of you don't know there are diets that say that you have to cook in coconut oil uh, this is a thing uh and that's fine if you love coconut fucking knock yourself out uh, my daughter lily loves coconut she she loves it doesn't bother her she wants to cook in coconut good for her i'm not sitting here judging her like what an idiot no she likes it why would i judge that you know um, 
I think we've, I think we've uh, given a um, sufficiently complicated answer. Well, I appreciate that. And I want to thank you for the use of the word fooey. Fooey. Fooey to you, you, Paige. How about that? Fooey to you too, man. Yeah. Fooey. <laughs> this is like um, uh, Lenny Bruce uh, had a whole thing on fuck you, how fuck you was really a nice thing to say to somebody. <laughs> how there could be nothing nicer to say to somebody than fuck you. Oh, fuck you, ma. He was like, <laughs> literally, it's the most loving thing you could say. Um and uh, I think uh, fooey could be more palatable for people. Yeah, right? I'm into it. Yeah. I'm into it. Yeah. <laughs> no, thank you. I, I, you know, I love what you said. It's actually, um, I don't know. I always get something when I hear you answer everyone else's questions. So uh, I, I got something out of this as well myself. Okay, cool. Well, if you have a question you would like me to answer on this podcast, please submit it to American Glutton dot net right that's exactly where and there's a form there's a place where you click contact and it sends you to our email okay great so that's how you yeah. do it because this whole time i'm like is this an email address we're giving people i don't it know. winds up being an email address okay yes, good. But just so, americanglutton.net and it's right there you go there and figure it out Paige and casey and brandy have it covered they figure right. they do all this stuff and then it yes. somehow comes and Paige asks me a question that's how this works it works Thanks for listening to this episode of American Glutton. I'm Ethan Suplee, and as always, joined by my chaperone, Paige Dorian. Follow us on Instagram at American Glutton Podcast. Sincerely.